In this short message, we examine the claims that challenge the bodily resurrection of Jesus and then examine facts that support his resurrection. And most of all, why would this even matter to you and me today? Listen, be challenged. Right, morning. Thank you for being with us. Uh, this special Resurrection Sunday service. Appreciate each one of you coming and also want to especially welcome those of you who are with us for the very first time. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us this morning. Resurrection Sunday, a time when we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ rose up from the dead. We know he's alive. He's living. And that makes us confident and bold in what we believe and how we live and the choices we make. And everything we do comes out of this reality. That the Jesus in whom we believe is not just an ideology, not just a philosophy, not just some nice thought. But he is living. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the eternal God of the ages. That's the one in whom we believe. Amen. And that's the one we worship. That's the one we serve. And that's why we do it with a passion. Amen. Beyond the form of a religion, beyond the form of some observance or a dead ritual. So this morning I want us to uh, just take some time to consider this big question. Did Jesus Christ really rise from the dead? Or are you and I just believing a lie and just fooling ourselves? And I want us to look at both sides of the argument. I want us to look at cases why people dispute the physical resurrection of Christ. I mean, what arguments would somebody who wishes to dispute the physical resurrection of Christ, what arguments would they have? And then we want to look at arguments or facts that point to his resurrection. But first of all, I want us to read a few uh, passages from the Bible, the scriptures. Just to understand what actually happened from the cross to the point he rose up from the grave. So I'm just going to read this out for us. Uh, you can follow along if you have a Bible or uh, they might project this, uh, for the, project this for us on the screen. I'm reading from the Gospel of St. John. John was a beloved disciple, somebody whom Jesus loved very dearly. He followed Jesus all the way through right there. He was standing at the foot of the cross. So this is a first-hand account of somebody who loved Jesus. It's not some distant account or a report of somebody who heard it, you know, uh, from three different people. This is somebody who stood at the foot of the cross. He was right there. And here's what he records for us. So I'm reading from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 19, verses 31 to 37. And then I will read from another uh, passage in the Bible as well for us. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So Jesus Christ was crucified between two other criminals. Now before the end of that day, they wanted to make sure that everybody died on the cross. So here come the soldiers and uh, they actually break the legs of the other two criminals. 
just to ensure that they died. Verse 32, then the soldiers came, broke the legs of the first and of the other, who was crucified with him, with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen this has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. Another John is saying, hey, this is, I saw it. I was standing right there. And I want you to have the guarantee, the assurance that what I'm saying is true. Verse 36. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones should be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at the first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day. For the tomb was nearby. So they took the body of Jesus. They embalmed it. They, put the, the, they wrapped his entire body with cloth. A hundred pounds of spices soaking in. Embalmed the body. Took, took care of the body. And they put it in the tomb. And they buried him. Now let me read from Matthew the 27th chapter. And uh, just to get the other aspects to this. To the sequence of events. Matthew 27 verse 57 onwards. And I'll read through chapter 28. Now when evening had come. There came a rich man from Arimathea. Named Joseph. Who himself also had become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate. And asked for the body of, of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body. He wrapped it in clean linen cloth. And laid it in his new tomb. Which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb. And departed. And Mary Magdalene was there. And the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Now when it says when he did it. Obviously it's not him alone. He had his workers. He had a lot of people getting the job done for him. He was a rich man. And he got the work done. Verse 62. On the next day which followed the day of preparation. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. Saying sir we remember while he was still alive. How that deceiver said. After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go your way, make it as secure as you can. As you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now, the chief priests, the Pharisees, they wanted to make sure that nobody could take the body of Jesus out of the tomb. So they got permission to have a guard. The guard is not saying one little soldier. A guard means a battalion of 16 Roman soldiers. 
standing in front of the tomb. That's a guard. They sealed the tomb and they put the sign of the Roman government. It's like how when we have government property out on the street, they, you have the seal, BBMP. You can't pick one of those up and take it home. Not allowed to do that. <laughs> it belongs to the government. There's a seal on it. Similarly, this was a Roman seal. And in those days, any violation of the Roman seal unquestionably resulted in one thing, death. So nobody dared try and make an attempt to break this seal that was on the tomb and it was guarded by 16 well-trained, strong Roman soldiers. Verse chapter 28 and read verse from, verse from verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards, so now you see there was more than one guard. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, that there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. This rumor was spreading. Then the eleven disciples went out into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm not reading to you the accounts from the other Gospels, but let's just quickly summarize what happened. So, Jesus was certified dead on the cross by the Roman soldiers. That's undisputable. They didn't break his legs. They pierced his side. Blood and water flowed. They certified his death. Pilate gave his body over to 
This rich man, Joseph of Armetia, he had his own tomb already prepared. They put it there, sealed it. But next morning, there was this guard, this battalion of 16 Roman soldiers standing posted in front of that tomb. They sealed it with a Roman signet. Nobody could break it, would dare break it. And they stood there. Their appointment was, you have to stand there the next three days. You're not going to leave this place. Now, somehow, on the third day, when the disciples and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb, they found the guards gone. The stone rolled away a far place. That means it wasn't a sneakily pushed open a little bit. The stone was moved away to a distant place. And when they came into the tomb, as John records in a passage I did not read, John and Peter, when they walked into the tomb, here's what they saw. They saw the linen clothing in which Jesus' body was wrapped. Although it's not stated, it's most likely it was an empty cocoon. Like how if you had a, a, an injured arm put in a cast of plaster of Paris, you have a firm cast. So here you would have had a cocoon because they wrapped his body with clothing and a hundred pounds of spices. Which means to some extent this would have solidified, would have hardened a bit. And that entire cocoon was lying on the place, lying there in the place where they had laid the body. So somehow the body slipped out of that cocoon. And the cloth with which they had put upon his face was neatly wrapped and kept next, next to this uh, linen case or clothing. That's what they saw. And then they had encounters with Jesus. He has began to appear to his disciples. And the Bible records that for a period of 40 days, he appeared to his disciples several occasions. He, some, some of them took a while to be convinced that Jesus indeed had risen from the dead. They didn't believe it the first time they saw him. Like we read just now. They didn't believe it. Some of them had to say, Thomas had to say, I need to put my finger into your hands inside. I need to touch you to believe you. So it took them a while, especially disciples, to come out of that state where they realized, where they knew for sure their master and Lord had died because they saw that happen, to come to this acceptance that he had indeed been raised up from the dead. The disciples themselves needed convincing. The Bible also tells us that Jesus appeared to 500 people. So it wasn't just 12 who came up with this story. There were 500 eyewitnesses who were still alive well about 20 years since the time of his resurrection. Who could give testimony to the fact that they had seen the risen Savior. Another important thing for us to understand in the Bible account is this. That the brothers of Jesus himself. In John 17 verse 4. An earlier account it says that during his earthly ministry. They refused to believe him. He said hey we were playing marbles with him. We were doing all these things. And now how come crowds are following him. He must be deceiving them. 
So they refused to believe. His own family members refused to believe Jesus while he was ministering on the earth. But you find a little later in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 that all his brothers became believers and they were assembled together in what we call as the upper room waiting for the work of the Holy Spirit. That would not have happened if he was still dead. And one more significant eyewitness account is that of a man named Saul. Saul was a highly educated man of his day, a Pharisee, meaning he had a PhD. He was very scholarly, trained under the best professors of his time. And Saul was an opponent, he was an opposer of the message of Jesus Christ. To the extent where he was killing the early believers, the people who chose to believe in Jesus, Saul was out to kill them, or at least put them in prison. And this man, in a moment, turns from being the greatest adversary to the Christian faith to becoming the greatest proponent to the Christian faith. Saul becomes Paul in a moment. His life changed. And his only reason is, I saw him. I saw him. My life changed. So with all of this evidence, let's now listen to arguments that that may question the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, everything, a lot of what I'm going to say this morning has been drawn from a research done by a man named Josh McDonald. Uh, this was in the 80s and in the 90s. He published a landmark book uh, uh, somewhere in the end of the uh, towards the 80s, uh, Evidence That Demands the Verdict. And he attempted to examine this, the claims of the resurrection of Christ and the validity or the authenticity of the New Testament. He began as a skeptic and he ended as a firm believer. After he went through his detailed research of the archaeology, of the historicity, or studying all the history, historical facts and everything. And he released this landmark book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He came out with another book, More Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and several other books that he's written. And I'm drawing almost all of my content from his work. So, what would be the claims against the resurrection of Jesus? Number one, they just went to the wrong tomb. Now, these are arguments from intelligent people. Don't laugh at it. (laughs) The disciples just went to the wrong tomb. And so so they, they saw an empty tomb. And so they believed that Jesus was risen. Now this argument doesn't hold much water because there was the other tomb where the soldiers were parked at. So any announcement that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead because we saw an empty tomb would have been immediately put down because the soldiers said, hey, we're standing at the right tomb and the body is inside. The second argument that people have come up with is the body was stolen now there could have been only two ways in which the body would have been stolen if the disciples that so the one one possibility is the disciples tried to steal the body while the soldiers were on guard now That itself is a ridiculous statement. You've got 16 soldiers. 
and you've got cowardly, timid, fearful disciples who are literally scared the night Jesus was apprehended, they ran away. So now we are trying to figure out how these cowardly, fearful, timid disciples somehow mustered up enough courage to sneak behind 16 armed, trained Roman soldiers and had enough courage to go break a Roman seal to try to steal the body. The likelihood is zero. (laughs) They could not have done it. So the only other possibility is that night from when they put the the body in the tomb to the morning when the soldiers arrived. Now, firstly, they would not have attempted that because it was their day of preparation. They would not as Good Jewish people work beyond that time. They would not do anything. They were in a hurry to finish the burial because they had to stop working from sundown. So first of all, if they even attempted to do something at night like that, they were violating their own traditions, their own customs. Secondly, if they even did attempt to do it, why did they, why did they leave the linen clothes behind? How could they have taken the body out of the linen clothes? I mean, imagine if you were trying to steal something, would you take the time to unwrap the body and to nicely fold the cloth and keep it? I mean, you will do it in a hurry. And even if they did take that body within that period of time and they buried it somewhere else, would they have had the courage to then go and preach that he rose up from the dead when they know they conducted the funeral themselves? Would these same disciples who are so fearful have the courage to preach such a message and preach it to the point where 11 out of the 12 of them were martyred for the message they preached. That means they gave their life for what they preached. They were willing to die, but they would die for a lie. Maybe some. But that's a great price to pay. And what about the 120? What about the 500? And what about Saul of Tarsus? How would they have seen a risen Savior if he had had a funeral done for him? They would not have come to faith. Because a dead man would not have appeared to him. So this theory of his body being stolen has to be dismissed. Number three. The Jewish or the Roman authorities moved the body. That they took the body and put it somewhere else. Well. What would you have done if you were one of those authorities and you heard the disciples out there preaching that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead? The first thing you would have done is to roll out the dead body in front of them and say, hey, his body is right here. And that movement would have come to an abrupt end. They would not have had a, me- they would not have had a message to preach after that. Number four, the disciples were hallucita- hallucinating. They were just imagining all this. Well, many of them touched him. You cannot touch an imagination. Some of them ate with him. You can't eat with a ghost. And they saw him perform a miracle, the same miracle (coughs) of the great catch of fish that he did 
When he was alive, they saw that. So you cannot be hallucinating for such a long period of time. Oh, thanks. For such a long period of time and, and not having, uh, and having touched his body, eaten with him, seen him do the miracles. And even if they were hallucinating, how about all the other people who came to faith in Christ because of their preaching? But all of them hallucinating? What about Saul? Was he also hallucinating? No. You cannot extend it beyond too much. Twelve people may be, but not thousands who believed in him at that time. Number five, Jesus didn't really die. Maybe he just swooned. All right. We have a death certificate given by the Roman soldiers. They certified him dead on the cross. That's why they didn't break his legs. They didn't bother to do it. They cross-checked it by piercing him on the side, making sure water and blood, blood and water came out. They were satisfied that he's dead. But let's say even then, if it was a mistake in their assessment. And some of, after all that excruciating pain of crucifixion, he somehow survived all of that to have just fainted. How long would it have taken for somebody to recover from all of that beating? I don't know. Maybe six months. Maybe two years. Where would he have hidden for two years? And how come within 50 days the disciples were preaching he had been raised from the dead? If they knew that Jesus was still being nursed in some corner. They would not have, been, they would not have the courage to preach such a message. So that possibility is ruled out. And the last one is maybe the disciples were just preaching a lie. That these 12 men conspired among themselves saying, look, let's just preach that he rose from the dead. Well, if they just did that, what about their own lives? What about the lives of the 120? What about the lives of the 500? What about Saul of Tarsus? What about... Thousands of others whose lives were transformed. Could a lie transform lives for the better? Could a lie cause miracles to take place? That in Jerusalem they saw the sick being healed, the dead being raised. Could a lie cast out devils and set demon possessed people free? No. Not to the extent that we see here as recorded for us in the Bible. These men gave their lives for what they preached. So let me, let's just quickly look at the whole story and build a case for the other side. What are the simple facts? And this doesn't take much research to uh, recognize. What are simple facts that show to us that he indeed had to have been physically raised from the dead? Now I'll quickly run through this. Number one, the broken Roman seal. 
That Roman seal, no man would have dared to break it. The disciples would not have attempted to break it. And yet, the stone was moved away. And the Bible explanation is, an angel of God came and moved it. And the soldiers were standing in front, was so fearful, they fell as dead men. And even if you don't believe in angels, you have to believe that something happened to cause these soldiers to lay helpless and still like dead men. That they couldn't fight it, they couldn't resist it. It had to be something beyond just human power that moved that stone away from that place. Leaving 16 trained soldiers helpless, powerless and immobile. Second fact to assert the claim of his physical resurrection was the empty tomb. The tomb was there for everybody to see the tomb from which the, where the body was laid, where the soldiers were standing in front. They could point to the tomb and say, it's empty. Go see it for yourself. There was an empty tomb. Now, what is important is to realize this, that Antigonos, Antigonos the people who were opposed to the preaching of Christ recorded an empty tomb. Jewish historians, Roman historians, other secular writing records an empty tomb. So people who are opposed to the gospel, opposed to Christ, state in their record of history, there is an empty tomb. Now would you do that if it wasn't there? So a testimony coming from those who actually opposed you. Is highly regarded. That they attest to the fact. That there was an empty tomb. Number three. A large stone was moved. Meaning. This stone. Was estimated to be about two tons in weight. You couldn't have one disciple come and move the stone. It was moved. Not just by a few men. But it had to be moved by a powerful angel at that moment. And it was, like I said, it was moved well away from the tomb. If somebody attempting to steal the body, they have just moved it enough to sneak in and take the body out. But this stone was moved well away from the tomb as the Bible records. Roman guards ran away. Why would they run away? Their life was at stake. But yet the account tells us they ran away. Some of them went to the chief priests and told them exactly what happened. And the chief priests and the Pharisees, they had to come up with some conspiracy. They had to come up with this idea. We'll give you money. You spread this rumor. We'll take care of the governor and what has to happen on the other end. Roman soldiers leaving their post was not something easily done. Number five, grave clothes were left behind. Like I mentioned earlier, why would anybody, anybody want to leave the grave clothes there if they attempted to steal the body? Number six, Jesus' appearance was confirmed. The disciples saw him. There were 500 eyewitnesses. His own brothers came to faith. And Saul of Tarsus also came to faith. 
hostile witnesses to his resurrection. People who once opposed him now believed in him because they saw him. And number seven, like we mentioned earlier, the disciples' own lives, their changed lives, their preaching of the message of Jesus Christ, their giving up their lives, all 11 of them, 11 of them, one died of old age, but 11 of them giving up their lives as martyrs for this message. And lastly, today, lives are transformed and miracles still happen in his name. Today, Many of us sitting here have experienced powerful miracles taking place in the name of Jesus. Many of us have seen people set free from demonic powers and evil spirits. People have seen healings of all manner, small and big, taking place in the name of Jesus, even in our day and our time. A dead man's name would not cause such things. So now... Why does all this matter to us? I mean, why are you making such a big deal of preaching about Jesus and his resurrection? Why does it matter to you and me? Here's why. Because the Bible tells us that all of us, every human being, is in need of a savior. So what does that mean? It means that you and I, as human people, we have sinned. We have done things that displease our Creator God. And God is so holy that sin cannot stand in His presence. And we all will agree that we, each one of us are innately sinful. We've done wrong things. We say wrong things. We cover them up and all of that. But our sins have their consequences. Our sins separate us from this God who created us. This God who knows uh, his plan and purpose for us. This God who seeks to have a relationship with us. Our sins separate us from God. And our sins, the Bible tells us, the result of our sin is death. Our sins are taking us to an eternal separation from God to a place called hell. And hell, the Bible describes it as a place of eternal torment. It's not a pleasurable place. And that's where each one of us, because of our sins, are headed. Now, all of us make attempts to reach God. We become religious. We try to live good lives. We try to do good things. We try to be good people. We all, in some way or another, try to be good Maybe our goodness can appeal to God and please Him. But the Bible is very emphatic when it says that our best actions are like filthy rags in the sight of God. Meaning no matter what good I do, it still falls short of God's standard of goodness because much of our goodness is motivated from some selfish interest. And so our own goodness falls short of God's standards. So there is no way that anyone can balance the scales or even cause the scales of goodness to outweigh that of the wrong we've done. It's impossible from God's perspective. Other people may say you're a great person, but that does not hold. It all depends on what God says about what you and I do. 
And so each one of us find ourselves in this predicament. We are sinners separated from God, unable to save ourselves and headed one way to an eternal destination called hell. Each one of us are in that predicament. And we can't save ourselves. And that's why we all need a savior. But no other man or woman can save us because every man or woman born on this earth, no matter how good they are, are still born in sin. So no matter how good they may be, how great their teachings may be, they themselves need a savior because they are born in sin and they are incapable of saving you and me. So another man or woman cannot save us. The only answer the Bible presents to us is this, that God himself becomes our savior. But God himself deals with the whole issue of our sins. So here's what happened. The Bible says 2,000 years ago, God came into this world. He came in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life. He demonstrated to us. He revealed God to us. He showed what God is like. He healed sicknesses. He drove out devils. He, he, he worked miracles. He met the needs of people. He spoke to us about the things of God. All of that he did, but ultimately he went to the cross and the cross was that place where the sins of the whole world were paid for. The sins of the whole world were judged and they were paid for to the work that Jesus Christ did on that cross. And he was buried and he rose up again and he's alive today. Now that resurrection is so important because if he had not raised up from the dead, everything he did on the cross would be of no use. How would you believe in someone who's dead? What good would it do? But he rose up from the dead, showing us that he is God. And then he offered to you and me, he says, he told his disciples, go tell the whole world. That whoever believes in me receives forgiveness for their sins. I will take their sins out of the way. So that they can enjoy the benefits of having their sins forgiven. Which is they can come into a relationship with God. The Bible says that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ not only has their sins forgiven. But becomes children of God. You come into this relationship with God. Where God becomes your father. And you become a son or daughter. He then gives you eternal life. The Bible says the results of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. God gives us salvation freely as a gift. He knows you and I can in no way earn it. He knows you and I can in no way achieve it. He gives it to us as a gift. Simply because we believe in what he provides for us. Through Jesus Christ. He gives us salvation. And he makes us a new creation. Makes us new people on the inside. So now we have the capacity to walk in goodness and righteousness, a capacity that's given to us by God himself. But why is Jesus Christ someone you must consider? Jesus' claim is this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's his claim. 
that I am the way, meaning there is no other way. I am the truth, meaning there is no other truth. I am the life, meaning I am, he is the only source of life. There is no other source of life. And no one can come to God except through me. That's his proposition. That's what he puts out to you and me. Why? Because no other man or woman is without sin. Only God who became man is without sin. And only he, therefore, is qualified, is capable of taking the sins of the rest of mankind. Otherwise, he would have his own sins to die for. But when God became a man, he was a sinless man. He could then die as a substitute in your place and mine, taking your sins upon himself, our sins upon himself. So Jesus Christ is unique. This morning, before we close, I want to invite each one of us here that if you have never personally made a decision to believe in Jesus, then take a moment right now. Ask yourself if you would like to do that. If you, would like, if you would like to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the one who forgives you your sins and brings you into this relationship with God. He offers this to us as a free gift. So I'm going to do two things this morning. First, I want to pray for us lead us in a prayer there's anyone here you feel in your heart you know i believe that what i've heard this morning is true and i want to make a choice to believe in jesus christ you want to do this by your own free will there is no compulsion nobody's forcing you into this but if you feel in your heart what i've heard it makes sense and I want to believe in Jesus. And I want him to come into my life. I want him to forgive my sins. I want him to make me a child of God. And I want to receive this free gift of eternal life. And I want to follow this Jesus the rest of my life. If you feel that in your heart, then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I invite you to pray that with me. And after that, I want us to pray and believe Jesus to heal us, to work miracles in this place. Because Jesus Christ is alive. And just as in the Bible times, he healed people of all their sicknesses, their diseases, and, and he drove out demon powers, and he set the people free. He does the same thing to you and me for us here today. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for us to receive his healing touch, his miracle power in our lives. Some of us could be in, in, in emotional problems. Some of us could be going through addictive behaviors that we want to be set free from. Some of us could be uh, having physical conditions in our body that we want to be healed. And while we pray that prayer, I want you to reach out to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, touch my life. He will do it as we reach out to him in faith. And we will see him work miracles in your life. So that's the second prayer I'm going to pray. So could we please bow our heads? I call our worship team up, please. And This morning, as you are seated in this auditorium and those just around us in the hallways, you heard the reason why you and I need to believe in Jesus Christ because we, each one of us, need a Savior. And this morning, 
If you feel in your heart that you want to believe in Jesus Christ. You feel a conviction coming in your heart. That says yes I want to believe in this Jesus. I want him to change my life. I want him to forgive me my sins. Because I believe he bore my sins upon the cross for me. And I want you to please pray this prayer with me. It's not the prayer that saves you, but it's Jesus Christ who saves you. This prayer will help you reach out to Him. So if you've never done this before in your life, right where you are seated, would you just say this with me? Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I believe you took my sins upon yourself on the cross. I receive the forgiveness you give. I receive the eternal life you give. Be my savior. And be my Lord. Make me a child of God. And help me follow you. The rest of my life. I believe you're alive today. And I choose to follow you. In Jesus name. Amen. If you pray this prayer with me, we want to celebrate with you. It's the greatest decision that you've made in your life ever. Because it has changed your eternity. It has changed your present. Christ has come into your life. Your sins are forgiven. And the Bible says there is great rejoicing in heaven. Even over one person. Even over one person returns to Jesus. There's great rejoicing in heaven. And we want to rejoice here on earth. We also have a free bag, a gift bag that we want to give you. It has free resources, a Bible, New Testament inside it. And some resources that will help you get started in your journey of faith. So, if you pray that prayer with me, right where you are, as you're seated, just slip your hand up so we know who you are. If you pray that prayer with me right now, just lift your hand up. And we will get this back to you. I see one. I see two. Anybody else? You pray this prayer with me. Just put your hand up. And, uh, you pray this prayer with me for the first time. Just put your hands up. I see several hands up there. Make sure you put your hand up high up on the balcony. Just put your hand up high. We want to see you. Make sure our ushers, the greeters, come to you and give you this back. Uh, just make sure that there are hands up that side that we need to get to. Please. Just keep your hand up high till you get this green back. We just want to make sure you get it. Along with a the bag, they, would have, they will give you a card that says decision card. There are some hands right here. That says a decision card. Please write your name and your number on that card and hand it back to them right away. Right now, you can just write your name and number, give it back to them. If you pray that prayer this morning with me, receiving Jesus as your Savior, I want you to just write your name and number on that card. Please give it back to them right now. And our greeters will come back to you and collect that with you. So it will help us keep in touch with you. And will, somebody from the office will call you. They will tell you how to use the resources that are in 
this back. Before we close this morning, we're going to partake of the Lord's table. This is symbolic to us. It's very important. It is just telling us about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The fact that Jesus shed his blood, took upon his own body our sins, and that he died, he rose up again, that he is coming back again. That's what it tells us about. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you love Jesus, you've, you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, then you are welcome to partake of this. Our ushers will come, our greeters will come and serve each of us. We request you to please hold it in your hand till everybody is served. And then we are going to pray. And we are going to partake together. And at that time, once we partake together, I am going to pray over us. For the Lord to work His healing. The Lord to work His miracles. The Lord to break bondages. The Lord to cause healing in our bodies. It is a very powerful moment. And so I want you to prepare your hearts. Please hold on to the elements till everybody is served. And then we will pray and partake together. We only request you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are welcome to partake. If you are not sure yet, it is okay to pass it on. But if you are a believer in Jesus, you are welcome to partake with us this morning.
everything you have for me Lord I receive I receive everything you have for me Jesus I receive everything you have for me everything you have for me I love the way I love the way you love me Jesus I love the way you love me I love the way you love me Jesus I love the way you love me I love the way you love me Jesus I love the way you love me Can we, can we declare that over ourselves too? I love the way you love me, Jesus. I love the way you love me. Sing, I receive. I receive everything you have for me. I receive. to our feet please as we just prepare to partake of the Lord's table Father in Jesus name we consecrate these earthly elements of bread and grape juice even as we celebrate the death, the burial the resurrection of our Lord Jesus and Lord we worship you in this place we acknowledge that you are the risen King, the Lord who is above everyone, the Lord who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, that all authority, power and dominion is yours. And Lord Jesus, even as we partake of these elements, I pray that the power of your finished work that brings healing to our bodies, that brings wholeness into our lives that breaks off every demonic work that sets the captives free that heals incurable diseases that works miracles in our lives that power be administered God to each one of us as we by faith partake of these elements We thank you, Lord, for doing that for us. 
The Lord Jesus said, Take, eat, this is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together, please. The Lord Jesus said, This is my blood of the new covenant that is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together, please. Right now, by the power of Jesus' name, by the power of His finished work on the cross, by the power of His blood, I command sicknesses and diseases to leave. As I pray right now, I want you to pray with me. I want you to release your faith in God and ask Jesus to touch you right now. If you need healing, a miracle in your body, your mind, your emotions, it could be something internal, that's okay. We're going to pray right now. You can go home, you can check it, you can get the doctors to verify it. But this is the moment that we are going to receive healings. We're going to receive miracles. I want you to pray. So right now, I take authority over every work of the devil. I take authority over every spirit of infirmity. I take authority in Jesus' name over every spirit of affliction. Every tormenting spirit. Every foul spirit disturbing God's people and the peace in their lives. I command you in Jesus' name, go. Sickness and disease be gone. I command tumors and growths to disappear. I command healing to the eyes. I command healing to speech impediments. I command healing to the ear problems. In the name of Jesus, I command God's people to be healed in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray your provision in the lives of people. That even financial situations at home, in the workplace will change. Release miracles, God. For people, God, who, who, whose, whose uh, promotions or whose salary increases have been delayed or withheld, change it in their lives. In the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for what you do, oh God. Father, we pray for sons and daughters. We pray for our children. For whatever reason, if they've gone astray, they're favored in the name of Jesus. We take authority over every spirit of disobedience upon them. We break the whole of deception, lies. We break the whole of the spirits. We release them and we call them back into God's kingdom. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Our sons and daughters will serve God Almighty. will honor God in their lives. Father, we just thank you. We praise you. Father, I pray your blessing upon businesses and that are owned by people here and run by people here. And Lord, we pray your divine provision and blessing and abundance over their businesses and over what they do. We thank you, Father. We speak shalom. Shalom over our lives for honor and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.